0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Why don't you join me in thanking the worship team for leading us. And thank you all so much. What a great, what a great, great job. Uh, just a real quick update, many of you have prayed for us as Cheryl and I went down to Baton Rouge to help her sister and her her niece who lost her entire house and everything in it with no insurance, Cheryl lost her car, and so we were able to, oh, I need to put this on, don't I? Sorry. <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> Thank you. So anyway, so we were down in Baton Rouge and we were able to, to help helped them. Chapel on the campus gutted about over 100 homes, I believe. And uh, so we were able to get in on the tail end of that and help finish Adrian's house and got her repositioned. And uh, it was just an amazing, amazing week. And yet there is so much. 40,000 homes destroyed uh, more homes destroyed than even during katrina and yet if you were to listen to the news you would not know anything happened uh because we have an election going on you had the olympics going on um anyway it's just it's just a a major upheaval if half of iowa city was destroyed by a flood it would be similar uh in scope to something like that so yeah continue to pray thank you so many of you have prayed for so many of you uh, sent gifts Uh, to take to help Uh, many of you supported the effort through chapel on the campus and we're extremely extremely thankful and uh, grateful uh, for all of your support so please uh, continue there obviously if you go through something like that you need great leadership chapel on the campus had six different teams going out again gutted over 100 homes great leadership needed to go into that effort. Uh, Samaritan's Purse is huge on the ground there, helping out as well. Need great leadership there. And today we're looking at a passage, which I would call the plumb line for leadership within the local church. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, you know that leadership is absolutely critical for any organization. Without good leadership, it's like a ship without a rudder, like a train without rails, uh, like a horse without a bridle. And God has put leadership in place to help, to guide, to lead a local church. Now, specifically, this plumb line, First Peter uh, chapter five, these first few verses, is exactly for. Elders of the church. uh, God's leaders for the church, the elders, it's specifically applied to them. So, absolutely there. We didn't have terms back then such as senior pastor, lead pastor, associate pastor. They didn't have terms. That's more of a cultural term. And yet all of our pastoral staff need to have, need to have the qualifications for an elder. But what I would like to do is to extend it beyond that. If you were to take these prints, so there are a lot of people at Parkview who lead in Parkview in a lot of different roles. There are the elders, we have deacons, deaconesses, we have those who lead in, in ministries, we have, uh, women's, uh, group leaders, we have men's group leaders, we have nursery, we have all kinds of leaders. So even though this passage directly applies to the elders of a church if you are in any leadership capacity just think if, if you're at the University of Iowa and you are a leader if you were to take these principles and lead like this in your company your organization um uh, your your hospital staff on on the floor if you're a nursing staff supervisor if you were to lead like this you would point people to Jesus So abruptly, I mean, it it would absolutely be the greatest picture of communion. This is why I asked John, let's have communion first, because you cannot understand leadership if you don't have the whole foundation of understanding of what giving your life really means. And that ultimately is what uh, communion reminds us of on a monthly basis. For us, at least once a month, we're reminded of this a great book. Just an FYI, a great book. It's not a biblical book on leadership, but it is a picture of these principles. The Boys in the Boat, Cheryl and I just read it. Uh, it's an awesome book. It's historical. It's, it's based on the Olympics, 1936, Olympics in Berlin, these nine guys on this crew. It is an awesome, awesome book. If you like to read, if you like history, if you like novels, uh, and you, you want some good illustrations on what team, what team is all about, what leadership is all about. It's a great, great uh, book. So let me give you the context of these first few verses on leadership. The context really is before and after. So let me read the verses at the end of this passage, even though I won't spend any more time on it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you Restore and confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The context of this passage on leadership is suffering. It's the roaring lion seeking to devour. If you were here a few weeks ago when we set the stage for this first Peter context, you realize that there were Christians throughout the Roman world who were being fed, actually fed to lions, so he uses that imagery, fed to lions, to leopards, to to wild dogs, etc. Uh, leaders of the church, actually the word witness of Christ, the word witness comes from our word martyr, martus. So if you witness for Christ, you are probably going to die for that. So the leaders of the church were called to do exactly what Jesus did, why we celebrated communion. They were going to have to put their lives on the line. They were going to have to die for somebody else to succeed. That's what we're going to see in this passage. So let me give you the thesis, not the application, not necessarily the interpretation of the passage. Let me just give you the thesis of this passage, and it's this. In very difficult days, hard circumstances, with roaring lions, the people of God, are to be led, protected by godly leaders. That's the thesis. What does that look like? Now, what in your situation, if you're leading in any situation, you might be leading in the nursery, you might be leading in the church or outside of the church, you, you might be the head of a floor at the hospital, you might be head of, of administration in uh, one of the buildings at the University of Iowa, if you will just glean some of these principles, it will position you to be a leader. You might own a company. It'll position you to make an incredible influence for the cause of Christ. So here we go. What's the leader standard? Verse one. We're going to take a little time with verse one. The point is the standard is not Peter. Okay. It is the suffering and the glory of Christ who laid down his life for others. That's the standard. It obviously applies immediately, purposefully, intentionally to the elders, the leaders of the church. I would like for all of us, whether we're deacons, deaconesses, ministry teams, and outside the church to apply this as well, because it will reflect your walk with Christ. 1 Peter 1 says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of, as, as a martyr of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So what is specifically an elder? Well, let me tell you what an elder is not. For many of you, if you have no background in a local church. Your only concept of an elder is a guy on a bicycle with a white shirt and a tie and maybe has a badge that says elder. That's not the biblical definition. So to to, to even begin, let me give you the autonomy of a church. The autonomy of the church starts with God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who then passes on his authority through the apostles' to the elders in a local church. Okay, So in terms of accountability, there's God the Father, God the Son, through the apostles to the elders in a local church. What does that term mean? I actually put it down in your notes so you can see it. It's presbyteros, the word elders, presbyteros, and all it means is the older ones, the older ones. A lot, sometimes in the Bible, it's only used to make the distinction between an older person and a younger person, much like my mom would say, Jeffrey, now you listen to your elders. And so she just meant age-wise, somebody who's older and more experienced than you, you give them respect. But biblically, it means more than that, okay? Uh, so there are Actually, qualifications that would go with this term, qualifications for those who are not just older, but also have these qualifications set forth in 1st Timothy 3, 1 to 7 and Titus 1, 6 to 9. Timothy was one of those younger guys. And the Bible specifically tells us that his youth was not to be despised. But yet at the same time, Timothy was never called an elder. He, through through the autonomy of the Lord Jesus Christ, passing it to the apostles, was commissioned to be a minister to the local churches, to minister, to teach, and to appoint elders, even though he himself was not an elder. Okay, So Art and Gingrich, the, the chief lexicon of the Greek New Testament, would say that officially, though, when it is used as a title, it uh, refers clearly uh, not only back to the Jewish custom within the the synagogue, but also to religious officials and also to civic officials as well. So let me blow away that. That's the technical side of it. So let me just say, when you study this passage, what you're going to find out that an elder is not... An elder just because they're educated or talented or powerful or famous or wealthy or a good business person or has charisma or because they're gifted or smart or because people vote them in. What we are going to find is that people are an elder because, spiritually speaking, you are wise, you are experienced, you're proven, you're a spiritual success, you're consistent with Jesus in your life, you humble yourself, you're dying to self in order to provide a platform by which others might rise to their full potential. That's an elder. So we're going to begin to develop a definition of what a leader in a church really is. So let's start with this as a base. A wise, an elder is a wise, humble, seasoned, proven spiritual success, He's been through the fires and the flames of life. That's that context. Go back to chapter four. It's, it's the context of fiery trials as well. He's been in the jaws of the lion who has sought to devour. His spouse and family have put their seal of approval on his genuineness and they serve on his, they serve as his proof that he can manage the church of God, especially through these very difficult times of life. So biblically, when you see this term, "presbyteros," and it's not just talking about age, it's talking about an official position, it's always used in the plural. In other words, there's got to be a quorum of wise, old, older, seasoned, spiritual successes who have been proven and their ideas tested and prayed for by a quorum of godly men. No one man is smart enough or wise enough to run a a local church. You know, let me just tell you one of the greatest joys of my life. I want to tell you how fortunate you are. Um, One of the greatest joys over the 25 now going on, 26 years of being at Parkview, has been we have been so incredibly blessed by a plurality of godly leaders. I, I can't tell you how fortunate we all are that we've had this. Both uh, whether you, know, you might use the words lay or you know more of a pastoral elder uh, or a lay elder. God has blessed Parkview. Uh, it's been absolutely my greatest joy to have rubbed shoulders with with men who absolutely love the Lord, who love their families, who love you, who would lay down their lives for you, who care for you, who pray for the mission of this church and the vision of this church, who dedicate their time. Uh, it, you honestly should thank God every night for them and pray for them. Um, I just can 't tell you how much I thank God for that. I thank God that i 'm in a church honestly where i 'm even able to pass the torch to to a younger leader, a younger elder who will carry the position of the of, of lead pastor, so to speak, on into the next generation. I am so thankful for for Doug Schillinger. Um, he was my first hire you know years ago, very first one and uh you know he's a guy who absolutely loves the lord loves his family loves the mission loves the vision um and and is very quick to give his life so that others can be successful and um i thank god for i thank god for the staff that we have who who pour their lives out for for your families uh, i don't want to start naming names and stuff but I mean, I am just thankful to God for them. And we have a, a number of, of, of women who serve in different kinds of leadership positions that are exactly the same way, They just dedicate their lives and uh, give themselves. So what are elders? Elders are the local church's leadership consist, consisting of wise, seasoned, proven, spiritual men who work in unity and diversity to seek the will of God and equip others for the work ministry. Well, what's the leader's standard? Let's get specific now. What is the standard of leadership? Now we're going to go to the second part of verse one, a witness of Christ's suffering. That's the standard. He's a witness, martus, martyr. It's consistent. If you're a witness, you're going to die in that time period. You witness, you die. Just that simple. He's a witness of Christ's sufferings. Listen, this was Peter's model. The model of leadership is not that you come to be congratulated, that you come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. A leader follows Jesus. A leader lays down his life so that other men and women can step on him to raise them up to the next level. Let me let me give you a test of a godly leader. And again, I'm underscoring that of elders, but please do apply it even if you own a business. You'll do yourself well. You'll do your employees well if you apply these same things to you in leadership. The test of a godly leader. Do you position yourself to elevate yourself to greatness or do you position yourself in order to propel those around you to achieving their full and lasting potential? That's the test of a godly leader. The third part of verse 1 As well as a partaker of the glory to be revealed, or, and one who also will share in the glory revealed. Ask yourself, did Jesus, did Jesus have glory? Of of course, yeah. But see, secularly speaking, we think of leadership, oh, I want that position so I get glory now. I want I want recognition now, I want glory now, I want position now. But for Jesus our, our standard is and one who will also share in the glory to be in the future revealed. Jesus had glory, but it came after his suffering. That's when a leader gets glory. There's glory, but it comes after love. It comes after humility. After service, after obedience, and if need be, it comes after death. So you give your life as a ransom. Then there comes glory. It was true for Christ. It will be true for any leader in a church. So let's expand this definition a little bit more. Churches are to be led by a group of wise, proven, godly, spiritual successes. They follow the example of Jesus. They don't lead by domination, but they lead by serving. Like Jesus, they're people who lay down their lives to make others successful. This is the type of leader that can humbly lead and protect God's flock from the roaring lion and as well as the trials of life and encourage the church to stand strong, firm, and steadfast in the faith. I think this is one of the things that I admire so much about Doug Doug Schillinger. I mean, he's been, you know, in this new position about a year, close not even I guess close to a year. I mean, and already we're starting an East Side campus, you know, with singers like that. You know. <laughs> so he's he's willing to lie down that others might take off that You know, to unleash others to fulfill their God-given call. I just highly admire that. And other staff do this as well. It might not be as observable, uh, but um, others do that as well. What's the leader's responsibility? Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight." oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So there's one verb that's used. Paimaino. To take care of, to feed. Or it's to shepherd, to be a shepherd. The elder's chief responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God. We're going to see it because there is a chief shepherd who's going to return. We're the under-shepherds, but there is a chief shepherd shepherd. Um, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, keep watch over yourselves in the meantime, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in. So on one point he uses roaring lions, you know, because of the situation they were in. Roaring lions here it's savage wolves are going to come in among you and will not spare the flock. So what does it mean to shepherd? So I just sort of consolidated down to five terms, looking through the Old and New Testaments. What does a shepherd do? On the one hand, a shepherd gathers lost sheep. So Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so the first thing that we do as a a church is we focus on the mission, and that is to gather those sheep who are lost. We might use the word evangelism here to win the loss, to, to help people come to faith in Christ. But that's not it. It's, it's not just that. It's A shepherd also feeds the sheep. This is one of the qualifications. They're apt to teach. They can actually take the word of God and teach the word of God so that others can grow um, and become more like Christ. So they feed the sheep. Thirdly, a shepherd protects the sheep, especially during these Very difficult times, you can imagine. Jesus said in John 10, a hireling is going to run, but a shepherd, a good leader, a shepherd who's leading will lay down his life for the sheep. So sometimes an elder, a pastor, a shepherd needs to draw the line. Sometimes they'll need to confront error, confront sin, to discipline, to take a courageous stand. At the same time, they celebrate successes. Uh, They are, we find in some of the qualifications, they're gentle, they're compassionate, but at the same time, they're vigorous. It means sometimes they might have to get in your face, uh, but they're not anemic or vacillating or people-pleasing or vote-canvassing. That's the call of an elder. Fourthly, a shepherd leads the sheep. The shepherd doesn't say, Go that way. A shepherd says, Come follow me as I follow Christ. And if I need to lie down so that you can be elevated, I will lie down and die to myself so you can be elevated. Fifthly, a shepherd cares for the sheep. That means when somebody gets hurt or wounded or abandoned or in a financial mess or loses a child or gets cancer, you are there walk with them, to care for them, to shepherd them. It goes with the job. So gathering, feeding, protecting, leading, caring for the sheep. Now, why would an elder do that? It's because this is the church of God. It's, it's God's flock. It's not my flock or the elder board's flock or Staff's flock, it's God's flock. That's why. But we are responsible. Matter of fact, we're so responsible for God's flock that Jesus said to those who were learning to be shepherds and pastors and leaders, He told them, Look, if anyone causes one of the least of these who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. So it's very clear, He's saying, Look, it's my flock, but you guys are responsible for their well-being. What's the leader's drive? Let me just read a few of these passages and we'll go through it pretty quickly. The leader's drive. You're not, not do this not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, do it eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. So what's true about leaders? What's true in this passage is that leaders choose desire over duty. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Here's this key word, and I'm going to talk about it in just a second. But willingly, desire, willingly, as God would have you. I don't like that translation. It is way too soft, way too soft. No one should this passage is saying no one should ever serve in a local church, specifically as an elder, we might say elder or pastoral staff, out of compulsion. No one should do that. No one should ever twist your arm to do that. Um, it's because you're constrained to be that. It's the word here, willingly, ekkosia is the word. I mean, just break it down because it's important. Ek, out of, usia, your nature, your nature. You you shouldn't be harangued to do this. Your arm shouldn't have to be twisted to do this. You should so want to do this because it flows, ek, out of, usia. It flows out of your very nature. You're, You're compelled to because God has called you and designed you to do this. You're convinced that it is God's will for your life. Why would you want to be so convinced? Because it's going to require that you lay your life down and die so that others can succeed. It's got to be that convincing. That's that's why to understand leadership, it has to come after communion. And we're called to follow Christ. Just... Just think if whatever organization you're in, whether it's at the University of Iowa or at City High or West High or school districts or whatever, think if you served like that. Can you imagine what it would do for the glory of God if you served like that? Leaders, secondly, choose giving over getting. It says, not greedy for money, but eager. And now I'm going to hit that word in a second. The eager part. You got the greedy part. The eager to serve. Basically, he's just saying a pastor or an elder doesn't have ulterior motives here. It's it's not what drives this person. Certainly the church, and we do find out, there those who work hard at preaching or teaching are worthy of double honor. In other words, they are supported there but you don't make a lasting impact by what you make. And this is true for any leader. You don't make a lasting impact by what you make. You make a lasting impact by what you give. That's where you make your lasting impact. Influence comes from giving. Um, It's influence that lasts. It has honor attached to it. It is not having money. That's not the issue. But it has nothing to do with how much money you have. The problem is the greed, okay? So you don't minister because of what you get out of it. You minister because of what you can give. And now here's this next word I want to concentrate on. We did the one, ekklesia. It comes, you lead because it comes, it's out of your nature, you're compelled to do it. And now I want us to look at this word, you are so eager to do it, Prothumos is the word. You thermos bottle. You've heard of the word thermos bottle. Why do you have a thermos bottle? Because you keep your coffee hot, right? It's, it's toward heated passion. It, it's, it's your passion. You, you do it because you're not just, okay, I'll do it. It's because you, you have hot passion to do it. Or you could translate it with great eagerness You do this. Great passion. Or as the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, woe is to me if I don't. He has hot passion. It comes out of his nature. He has hot passion to do this. I'm I'm amazed. I almost chuckle if people say, well, Jeff, If you thought about retiring, when are you going to retire? And I'm thinking, do you have any concept of even the question for somebody in leadership? I mean, if if it's something that flows out of your nature and it's this heated passion to do, how do you turn that off? I think the only way you could turn it off is if you never had the disease in the first place, I guess. Um, I I think of Cheryl, my wife, to give you an an illustration, a little different illustration. It's like Cheryl, um, she, it's her nature to be a mother. She's the best mother in the world. I'm I'm telling you, and I've said this once before, a couple times before, But, you know, if Mary wasn't born yet and they were looking for somebody to give birth to Jesus, they would have picked Cheryl. (laughs) Because it's her nature. It's her nature to be a mother. And she has a passion for being a mother. That'd be as silly as somebody going up to her. Hey, Cheryl, you going to retire from being a mother? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? But that, that's what's got to be inside of a leader, a church leader. It's got to be so consuming. Or otherwise, they'll never put their life on the line to die so that others can advance, okay? It wouldn't happen. Thirdly, leaders choose being an example over control. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you. In other words, like in the Old Testament, it would be Moses. It would be Moses with the children of Israel, and he says, God, kill me, not them. It would be David when God was judging Jerusalem. God, these few sheep, what have they done? Take my life, don't take their life. That's the cross. That's what happened at communion. That's what God's calling leadership to. It'd be the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 3. Uh, Would that I were accursed for my brethren. Lord, take my life. Don't take theirs. So you don't serve as a pastor or as an elder because you get something out of it. But just as being an example to the flock, you're ready to give your life for them. Fourthly, leaders choose humility over pride. Likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he at the proper time might exalt you. And that's what Jacob did, you know, and he had us raise our hands as we sang that was so awesome. It's just humility saying, God, we're absolutely one hundred percent dependent upon you. We are crying out for your direction, crying out for your guidance, crying out for your leadership. We we are waiting on you to lead. And that was what happened on the cross, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So who are the leaders of a local church? What are elders supposed to be? And please do apply this to whatever situation you're in. They are wise, seasoned, proven spiritual successes. They've been through the fires and the flames of life and emerged proven. They've been in the jaws of the lion who has sought to devour them and emerged victorious. They've avoided the devil's trap. His wife and family put their seal of approval on his genuineness and they stand as his proof that he can manage the church of God, especially through the very difficult times of life. He is likable because of his kindness. He's on the front line of evangelism and discipleship, and you don't need to ask him to do it because he is a leader, and he is doing it because it flows out of his passion. It flows out of his nature. So what about the judgment, the leader's judgment, verse 4? And we'll wrap it up real quick. These first few words, let me tell you, don't just, because this, on the one hand, it's the most sobering verse, and on the other hand, it's the most encouraging verse. Those first few words are incredibly sobering. When the chief shepherd appears. We're under shepherds. The chief shepherd is going to appear. And we will as leaders, as elders, as pastors of a church, we will have to give an account. You will, Peter says, you will stand before the chief shepherd, the chief elder, and he will judge you for how you dealt with the church, with the sheep. Did you lead? Did you treat my flock well? Did you love my flock? Are they better because of you? I honestly stand absolutely amazed when I look at some churches. Folks, when I look at some churches today, some pastors today who deny the virgin birth, who deny the deity of Christ, who deny the second company, deny the biblical inerrancy, choose to minimize whatever sin is most fashionable for the day. I have have you no concept of the fear of God That someday you will have to stand before God and give an account? To me, it's the most sobering phrase in this whole text. When the chief shepherd appears. But then the most encouraging, and when he does, and when that chief shepherd does appear, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The Stephanos of glory. A couple of different words are translated crown. One Jesus wears, the diadem, that's sort of the metal, the gold crown. This is the crown that they would wear in the Olympics, so to speak. It's made out of celery. It would last for a little while and disappear. But this one, he says, you're going to wear that Stephanos because you competed according to the rules. You won the race. Uh, you, you did a good job. And, and you're going to get that Stephanos, but it's going to be unfading. That celery isn't going to degenerate for you. Or as Paul would say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown, same word, Stephanos of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Okay, you ready? Leaders, you're at the University of Iowa. You're at Southeast. You're in the nursing home. You know, you're in your business. You are a leader of a ministry here. You're the leader of the nursery here. You're a deaconess, a deacon. If you are especially an elder, a pastor in this church, here it is. As leaders, we are not winners because we can outrun others. We're not winners because we can outflank others or outrank others or we can beat others to the top. We're winners because we can defeat ourselves and we can beat our bodies and make it our slaves and run the race so that others can succeed. And if we run that race well, when that chief shepherd appears we will get to hear from his lips, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So let's wrap it up. Who are the ones who should lead the church? They are wise, seasoned, proven spiritual successes. They've been through the fires and the flames of life. They've emerged proven. They've been in the jaws of the lion and have sought to devour them and emerge victorious. They've avoided the devil's trap. Their wives and families put a seal of approval on their genuineness and stand as proof that they can manage the church of God, especially through the very difficult times of life. They're doing the work of evangelism, discipleship, protecting, leading, caring for the sheep, and they will always choose desire over duty, giving over getting, being an example over being in control, and humility over pride. Leaders fear God. And they know that they will incur a stricter judgment, but are encouraged knowing that the investment of their life will pay eternal dividends. Let me tell you how I want us to end. If you are an elder or a pastor in this church, or maybe you've served as an elder or a pastor in this church, will you please stand right now? Go ahead and stand up right where you are. Just go ahead, hurry. Just go ahead and stand. If you are a deacon or a deaconess, will you stand? Go ahead and stand. If you are part of a leadership team, maybe you're leading in some capacity and you can take some of these elements and apply them to your life, would you please stand? And if you're a leader in the community, maybe at your work, Maybe you're a boss to somebody. Would you stand as well? Go ahead and stand up. And I want to pray for you. And before people just head out, what I'd like for you to do is to go up to one of these people who's standing in some capacity they're leading, either as a pastor or an elder, maybe a deacon or a deaconess, maybe in some ministry capacity, maybe in the community. I want you to go up and thank them. Maybe get their name. Maybe tell them for one week, I'm going to pray for you. Let me do that. God, we bless you. I just pray that the tribe of leaders at Parkview would flourish and increase. Lord, mold us. We got a long way to go, Lord. So we want us to uh, be molded by your Holy Spirit. Lord, make us into the men and women that you want us to be. Give us, give us wisdom uh, to identify those potential leaders with that. With that passion, with with that nature that you've put within them, give them the courage, Lord, to say yes, and the wisdom um, when to when to back off if they need to, and and when to engage when they need to. Lord, I just I pray, I pray that uh, you would give them in their hearts that desire to shepherd, to protect, and to lead, and to guide and to care. Give him that desire over duty, giving over getting, to be an example over control, humility over pride. I pray, Lord, that for all here who are in some form of leadership capacity, God, that you would use that example, whether it be in the workplace or in the church, use that example powerfully to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and his giving his life on the cross for us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 522